So we're in this series, Back to Galilee, where we are going back to the beginning of Jesus' teaching and the Sermon on the Mount, and we are going to reconsider everything Jesus taught in light of the resurrection, in light of Jesus being raised from the dead. We want to go back and listen again more closely, maybe, than we did the first time, or maybe you've read it over and over and over again in your lives. We want to listen closely, paying particularly attention to the things that Jesus wants us to, to do, because that's what a disciple is, is somebody who is learning to obey everything that Jesus commanded. So what, what, did, what did Jesus command? In the Beatitudes, he commands us to rethink blessing. What does it mean to be blessed? Got myself a nice lowrider Cadillac. No. Blessed are the poor. Jesus radically flips the world upside down when it comes to who's blessed and what blessing looks like. It's bigger than the stuff that we have. In salt and light, Jesus talks about us being his salt and light. And he wants us to rethink our purpose. What is your purpose? Well, your purpose is to be salt and light for the world. Make a difference for the world. Offer up something. Make it savory, flavorful. Give it life. Be a light to people to reflect God in their lives. Otherwise, the whole world walks around in darkness. Jesus talks about the law and the prophets, that he didn't come to abolish them, but he wants us to rethink their purpose. Jesus has come to fill them up, to bring them to their fullness. Last week, we, we, we talked about, actually, hold on, I don't want to get there yet. He wants us to rethink what righteousness looks like. He says that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. I believe this is done through applying the hermeneutic of love to the interpretation of any Old Testament text, and for that matter, any New Testament text at this point. We have to apply the hermeneutic of love in what we think a text has to say to us and also what we're going to do. Last week, we talked about murder, about being murdered by words. We talked about some people saying, I haven't murdered anybody, I'm good. I'm good, I'm fine, I'm fulfilling the law, I'm doing what the law says, and Jesus says, isn't good enough to not... To just not pull the trigger. The command to not murder must go deeper than that. It must start within the origins that lead us to murder. Like, like, like contemptuous anger. The kind of anger that gets you so riled up that you want to rock in somebody's face. He wants us to reconsider the law, dealing with the depths of our heart that would not allow us to say things like, you're worthless garbage. Today, we are going to talk about adultery. In Matthew 5.27, Jesus starts off, quoting Exodus 20, 14, and he says, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
And I'm sure this group of folks that were gathered around Jesus at this point, remember this folk we talked about on the law before, they're this ragtag bunch of folks that probably have some knowledge of the law, some knowledge of Old Testament Torah, they've had some teaching in their lives, they're beat up, they're bruised, they're broken. They're looking for Jesus to heal them. They're looking for some hope. They're following Jesus for a purpose. Jesus is teaching this ragtag bunch of folks. And I'm sure that they heard this in their lives over and over again. We're like, yep, I heard that. I know that. Don't commit adultery. Yep, mm -hmm. cool. According to that, I'm righteous. I haven't committed adultery. I've never known a woman who is not my wife. But then he goes on, right, in this contrast, this antithesis. He says, yep. You've heard that said, but I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying that to just not go through the physical act of committing adultery isn't enough. That dealing with a problem of adultery by seeking to simply not commit the physical act of adultery is just as it was in the case of murder. Too little, too late. It's not enough. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a heart attack. Right? You could walk around with this command in your pocket all day long. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. It's not going to do you a whole lot of good if you're not dealing with a condition of the heart that would lead to it. Jesus shows us that in order to deal with this problem, we must address just as it was with murder and hatred, the deep issues of the heart. We can't just walk around with our world sometimes falling apart, acting as though we're fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. What is fine an acronym for? Don't say it out loud. No, go ahead. I don't care. No. <laughs> you guys know that, right? I don't remember how it goes. Something about... Just, who knows it? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. We cannot walk around in a state of denial saying, I'm fine. I mean, this is one of the things that drives me crazy about the church sometimes. It's like, no, I'm fine. I don't struggle with lust. No, 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 I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, whatever. Seriously? <laughs> We're not. I mean, we could, if we can settle on anything... There isn't anyone here that's just fine. We better be paying attention to what's going on in us, not pretending as if we're just fine. I mean, for those of you who deal with substance abuse, I know you know that you just can't say and really mean it on any given day. No, I'm just fine. I mean, that goes on for weeks, days, months, years. Sooner or later, it's not going to go well. There's stuff that goes on in our hearts that just isn't pretty. We should at least be able to be honest enough to name it. It's, it's not enough. It's not enough to just know that you shouldn't commit adultery. Not, not just because of where a lustful look may lead we'll get to in a second, but, but because to look at another person as an object is to dehumanize them. To just look at somebody else like a racket, yard tools at Sears or something. If you don't know that movie, that's from the great outdoors. 
Anyway, <laughs> it's dehumanizing. It's not okay. It's not okay for us to just look at somebody as an object. We are supposed to love that person, to care about that person, to wonder what is going on in that person's life, and if they need anything, if they're hurting, if they're lost, if they've ever heard of the kingdom of God, if they've ever experienced the kingdom of God. And it's really hard for us to do that when we just look at somebody as an object for our own delights. It's to treat somebody who is supposed to be your sister or brother in Christ as anything but. When, and it's easy for us to go here. It's easy for us to start just simply concerning ourselves with gratifying our personal desire. Not how God created us to live. There's an awful lot of conversation that goes on in the church when it comes to lust. Specifically on the topic of who is to blame. Right? You've probably heard it. Who's to blame? Who's to blame for a man's lust? Oh, her skirt's too short. Her heels are too high. She looks too pretty. (laughs) It must be her fault. This is kind of the way we've done it all the way back to Jesus' day. Blame the women. Let's blame the women. You ladies, it's very important. I can't believe you all walked in here today with all your faces pretty and without your faces covered with a veil. You're too attractive. You should cover your... But that's what, that's what they did in the ancient Near East. Cover your faces, women, so that the men don't struggle with lust. People still do that today. The way they want to deal with the problems of the heart is for somebody else to have to take the blame. The Testament of Reuben, which is a non-canonical writing from the ancient Near East. <laughs> Quote, Just to give you a little bit of an idea for how the culture pinned this problem with men's lust on women. He writes, women contrive in their hearts against men. Then by decking themselves out, they lead men's minds astray. By a look, they implant their poison. And finally, they act it, that in the act itself, they take them captive. Amen. I was anticipating that was coming. (laughs) And Jesus says to this, seriously? Seriously? You have that little control over yourself. You have that little control over yourself that that's how you think about women. Come on. Get a grip. Dude, seriously. I think Jesus says all of those things in some way, shape, or form. He says, this is... Your problem. This is your heart. Don't anticipate that every woman in this world is going to wear a veil over their face just so that you don't have the struggle as if that's going to do it anyway. Right? Jesus is saying to us, men, 
take responsibility. Take responsibility for what goes on in your heart. This is your problem. This is our problem. I mean, did David, in his contrite repentance, come to blame Bathsheba? You guys know that story, right? David sees Bathsheba. She's sunbathing. He's the king of Israel. He sees her. He apparently lusts after her. He's attracted to her. And so he sends somebody to go get her to bring her back. They sleep together. She's married. She gets pregnant. Cut to the chase. He kills, not with his own hands, her husband. And he doesn't say, well, my goodness, you shouldn't have been sunbathing, God. I mean, it wasn't my fault. That's not what he says at all. He takes responsibility for what he's done. Not right away. And it takes somebody else to get involved in his life in order to do it. But he didn't say, well, she didn't have a head covering on. I mean, right? As if that was going to work, right? Out there all naked, but with a head covering on, right? What does he say? What does he say? He says, in Psalm 51, it's captured. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great, compa- great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. So that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord. And my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion and to build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in the burnt offerings offered whole. Then the bowl, then bowls will be offered. On your altar. I didn't hear a single thing in there about she didn't have a veil on her face. Single thing about I can't believe she was sunbathing close enough for me to see her. He takes responsibility for what he's done. There's no blaming going around. This is powerful. In that society, it was the women who were blamed for such things over 
and over again. And not just blamed, but more severely punished. More severely punished than men were. But here Jesus again places the blame squarely on the shoulders of the man and expects those men to learn to control their desires. What about today? Because we do live in a different world, right? We live in a world where it goes both ways. I mean, I hear conversations of, oh, that person, that man should not have worn what he wore. If it wasn't for what he was doing and saying and what he looked like, I wouldn't have committed adultery with him. Like, it goes both ways. It really does. And it's very important that we recognize that. We all need transformed hearts. We all struggle with lust. So what do we do about it, right? Because we are already straightforwardly naming that this is not something that's just not an issue and that we need to hide or pretend isn't an issue. This is a real struggle. So what do we do? Jesus offers the most ridiculous advice I've ever heard in my life, to be quite honest with you. It seems almost useless to me. It's ridiculous. It kind of makes me mad when I first read it. I'm like, seriously? Well, that's about as much... <laughs> it's, just not... it's just not good. It doesn't seem helpful at all. Jesus gives two over-exaggerated, hyperbolic examples that in a nutshell are helpful as long as we try and understand them properly. They simply, to begin with, demand that a person with the problem deals with the problem. If you've got a problem, you're going to have to handle it. You're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to take responsibility, and you're going to have to take action. Jesus says, with concerning this adultery thing, if your right eye causes you to stumble, which I've never tripped over my right eye, but <clears throat> gouge it out and throw it away. Oh, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> right? He goes on, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Gehenna, that valley of burning garbage. And then he says, I almost think he says this with some kind of humor behind it. I, I really don't know. He says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. What am I supposed to throw it with? I'm right-handed. <laughs> You're right. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into Gehenna. Well, how is that helpful? I mean, really, if we were to, obviously we're not going to take this literally. Maybe not so obvious to some, unfortunately. But I can lust with my left eye. I can lust with my left hand. Heck, I can lust without either hand or either eye not a real solution to the problem if we were to take it literally. If he was serious, then there's like an awful lot of kingdom people that have no hands or eyes, or at least no right hand or no right eye. I don't really think Jesus wants handless, eyeless people. Oh, you're one of those Christians, aren't you? Have <laughs> <laughs> to rewrite the song, they'll know we are Christians by our no eyes and hands. <laughs> Instead of love. So what, what's, what's the point? What is the point? I, I think we got to back up for a second and say that 
Jesus is using this form of hyperbole because he really just wants people to pay attention to what he's saying. What Jesus is doing is jarring us into a state of an awareness concerning the seriousness of the matter. It's one of those, as you're talking to your kids, moms and dads, if they're on a device, wait what? Right? You're not paying attention to you at all, and then you say something that all of a sudden gets their attention, but they didn't quite hear you. What? 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 What was that? Now I want to pay attention again. Can you? Right? Some parents I see know what I'm talking about. I have to do it with my, hey, Noah, wait, what? It's a wait, what response that Jesus is looking for, actually. I mean, I thought we were just talking about adultery, of which I didn't do, which then you're talking about lustful looking, which you associate with adultery. Well, that's not that big of a deal. And then he goes so far as to say, it'd be better for you to pluck out your right eye and cast off your right hand, cast it away, and cut off your right hand and cast it away. This is a serious issue. It's not something to just be passe about. It's not something to just gloss over. It's something to pay serious attention to. Jesus is challenging us through this hyperbolic speech to see that lust is no small matter. It's not a small matter in your own life if somebody wanted to simply turn you into an object. You're a person with feelings. You're somebody's child. You have children, maybe. How would you feel if somebody just wanted to turn your child into an object? Would that feel good? Certainly wouldn't feel good if somebody wanted to do that to one of my boys. I think I'd be quite upset. How do you think God feels when we want to take one of his children and just turn them into an object for us to use? It's no small matter. This issue of a heart that is willing to turn people into the objects for self-gratification. Jesus demands that we deal with what is in us that is leading us astray and learn to master it before it masters us. If we don't, we're going to find ourselves in the local garbage dump. Jesus uses this idea of cutting off hands and plucking out eyes in another context. And I, want, I, I think it just makes the point maybe even more strongly. It's in Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 47. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck, to be cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than it is with two hands to go into Gehenna, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into Gehenna. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown in, into Gehenna. Here, like in our context, Jesus is using overstatement to get people's attention concerning the seriousness of the matter at hand. Namely, when people's actions are causing others to stumble. Or when our actions treat other people like objects to simply pleasure ourselves. 
the very people, again, that we are called to love. The people that we are called to be salt and light for. Again, people that are made in God's image. Jesus doesn't take it lightly when we treat people like objects. Our behaviors, when they exploit others, are major problems. And they require a major overhauling of our being. So if we are not to literally cut off our hands and pluck out our eyes, what are we to do with the temptation to look lustfully? Again, I, I sometimes wish Jesus just gave straightforward answers. And I wish he just said, just, just do this, and it'll be easy. But there aren't those kinds of answers. There aren't. There aren't those kinds of answers. Jesus just isn't trying to offer us a simple solution to fix us. But with that said, I, I believe that what is key, as it was with King David, is to recognize that some of the things that we do are very wrong. We seem to come by them so naturally that we even say they're part of our nature. But they're part of our broken, sinful nature. They're part of the brokenness that resides within our hearts. So we need to recognize that wrongness. Hopefully we recognize it before we end up where King David ended up. And we need to stop blaming other people. You can't change anybody but yourself. It's hard enough to do that. You can't change somebody else. You can't change, make somebody else wear something different than what they're going to what they're going to wear. You can't change anybody else. We need to stop blaming other people and deal with what's going on in our hearts, and then take responsibility for our own actions. There are just simply no easy outward fixes. That was the Pharisees' ways of dealing with this. And our righteousness has to exceed theirs. You know that not only the Pharisees, they not only expected women to wear head coverings. It's been said, and I think there's some argument about this, but there's plenty of evidence to support it, that Pharisees would walk around blindfolded. They would walk around blindfolded in order that they not accidentally look on a woman lustfully. Because they knew that there was a problem here. The problem was they didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't, they didn't know that they could turn their hearts over to God and let Him work on them, change them, deal with them. They didn't know that they could maybe stop and ask the Spirit to lead and guide them, renew their hearts, and start to have a whole different view of other people. And the part that really gets me going about how the Pharisees did this blindfolding thing and how I know some guys today try and deal with urges of the sort in similar fashions is that we are called to love people. We are called to love people and it's pretty doggone hard to love people when you're dealing with the problem of lust in your heart by blindfolding yourself because you're not going to be able to see very many people. You're not going to be able to see the needs of somebody sitting out on a street corner. 
You're not going to be able to see the needs of a single mom because you're blindfolded. You're not looking. We're called to pay attention. We're called to look around at what's going on in the communities around us. It's impossible to do that when you're just trying not to look. So I'm not here to offer you guys or ladies any easy, simple solutions besides be real, address it, take responsibility. It's part of God's kingdom, people. We have to. We have to. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Seriously, though, happy Mother's Day. You know, Jesus probably did more than, I don't think he probably did more. I'm, I'm totally convinced, absolutely, utterly convinced that Jesus did more to dignify women than any other person that walked the face of this earth. Because he lived in a culture where the standard was just blame the women. It's their fault. They, they, they did it. And Jesus says, no, come on, seriously, get it together, guys. Take responsibility. It's not their fault. It's your fault. Take ownership. He didn't play that blame game, passing it around, giving it to somebody else. I, ladies, I want you to be encouraged by that. I want you to be encouraged by, a, by, by our Savior, who doesn't diminish you, but sees that you are as fully made in God's image as any man is, as male and female He made them in his image. Fearfully and wonderfully made. He made you in his image. He wants you to have the dignity and the respect that you deserve as somebody made in his image. So, take heart. Jesus, ladies, is for you, he's not against you, but you guys, he's against you. No, wait, no. <laughs> and guys, remember that God is for your wife or your girlfriend or your fiance or your significant other or whatever. God is for her. God looks upon her as his daughter and is jealous for her. And commands you to take responsibility in your life and to love her. And to treat her like Jesus treats the church. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you stand for what is right. And that you tell us what to do. Uh, We don't understand precisely sometimes what we're supposed to do in light of what you teach us, Jesus. But you do call us to take responsibility for our actions, to come before you, to know that there are things that we do that are wrong. And you will help us. You will heal us. You'll change our hearts. You'll give us a new heart. You'll renew us. You'll give us strength. So as we come before you in our minds and in our hearts tonight and cry out to you to change us, please. Change us, Lord Jesus. Be faithful to us and and help us through the struggles of this life that we have. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. Uh, We long to serve you in everything that we do. Let your name forever be praised in our lives through what we do and what we say. Amen.